Shall we play a game? War Games Mac and Cheese, next. When your weekend's all spent up and Monday's coming down the pike, sometimes all you need is a little comfort to get you through to Monday. Mac and Cheese Movies, where we believe in comfort food and comfort movies. America's front line of defense is this computer. It is totally secure. Or is it? You're really into computers, huh? Yeah. What are you doing? Dialing into the school's computer. Are those your grades? Yeah. I don't think that I deserve it. Do you? You can't do that. Already done. <laughs> you can go to jail for that. Only if you're over 18. This computer company is coming out with these amazing new games in a couple of months. I want to play those games. Wow. What? We got something. Games refers to models, simulations, and games to have tactical and strategic applications. Greetings. Game time is near. Shall we play a game? Love to. Let's play. Global Thermonuclear War. Fine. Hello, welcome to Mac and Cheese Movies. I'm Scotty Coppage. And she fits the profile, intelligent, low achiever, few friends, Shannon Coppage. Hey. <laughs> and he'd piss on a spark plug if he thought it'd do any good, Henry Florsham. I absolutely would. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a fantastic line in the movie. That's probably the best line of the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, he just, I, I'd given up. I'd piss on a spark plug if I thought it'd do any and good. And I gave the line to you, Henry, not Shannon. Yeah, I know. I know. yeah. I don't I mean, know. He, had, he had the two best lines. Well, no, there were three. There's... Um, the other one he had was something like, after careful consideration, I've come to the conclusion that your system sucks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But then the, the other one was Matthew Broderick in the, cl- in the science class. You, yeah. You oh, uh, your, your, your wife? wife? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to figure out a way to, like, in my answer on the intro to like come back with that, but I couldn't because I was like, "Well, Matthew Broderick, that's the main, that's the main line I could think of." Yeah, so. I watched it with I watched it yesterday with two of my young teenagers, mm-hmm. and that was the only line that made me cringe just a little bit. <laughs> I looked at, and I looked at them, and they were laughing. <laughs> what, what am I gonna do? Mm-mm. It's an innocent, innocent line. It's uh, yeah. sort of. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> you don't want them saying that in class. <laughs> Would you want his kids say that to you in class? I've heard worse. (laughs) I've heard worse. Yeah. So for today's mac and cheese comfort food, we have global thermonuclear war hot wings, chocolate chess king pie, strawberry Corbin ice cream. Basically, I'm just going to go into a diabetic coma. I also threw some mac and cheese in there, and I ate like three bowls of it. Uh, I'm going to take a giant nap after this. Cause yeah, me I'm, too. I'm, ha- I'm having a, a strawberry Corbin milkshake. And then I, I thought this was the most obvious one. I went to Burger King and got a Whopper. Oh, yeah, a Whopper, yeah. Yes. I, Whopper. I love that. Yeah. 
<laughs> we we were so full by the time we actually got around to dessert right before this that I was like, do you want to just take like a spoonful of the ice cream and like just a bite of pie? <laughs> so, <you did. laughs> so we did. <laughs> Can't handle it. Can't handle it. For the wings, what I did was um, I put I put them I brined them in the fridge lot yesterday so that they're you know nice and juicy and everything. And then I took them out and you kind of pat them down with a paper towel on the rack so they kind of dry out before you put them in the oven. Then you put them like, you know, like some vin- like some olive oil and then some salt and pepper, paprika, garlic powder, some chili pepper, and kind of some things like that. And then you put them in for like 20 minutes. But then also I got some hot sauce and some honey and some butter and boiled that and simmered that. And then like glazed them on there, um, oh, and put them back on there for thirty minutes in the oven, and they were yeah. delicious. Mm-hmm. They were They're delicious. Kind of hot. Sharon, you getting hungry again? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Amazing. I'm gonna give my stomach like another couple hours, and then I'm going back for seconds. <laughs> Mine were pretty easy. Uh, the pie—it's only maybe the second pie crust I've ever made, but I made that yesterday and kind of rolled it out today. And I don't know. I made a chocolate chess pie because. I don't know, my gammy, she always makes the pies around Christmas, and chess pie's good, but it's never the one that gets eaten first, you know? Like, really? it's always, like, just kind of hanging out by the side. Mm-hmm. It's delicious, but it's just, like, it's too much. I can't, so the chocolate, I thought, added a, a nice little twist to it. And then I cheat with the ice cream, because I have, like, a little KitchenAid ice cream maker, and it takes, like, 15 minutes, and I don't really have to do anything except pour things in it, and I'm like, oh, just because you have LeBron doesn't mean that you're cheating at basketball. Right. And that's way better than going to buy it at a store. That's, I mean, you, you made it. I made it. I was, or assembled it or whatever. Yeah, well, yesterday I was like, oh, I wish I had strawberries. I was like, wait a second. I've got some frozen in the freezer. And I just kind of like poured those in kind of at the end. Like I made regular uh, vanilla ice cream and just kind of poured it in there. I don't know if that's how you make it like that, but it worked and it was delicious. I like that we have so many foods. We have so many foods when we have Henry on the show. Like the Ferris Bueller podcast, we had so many foods, oh and we were eating God. them for a few days. And Exactly. Yeah, it's I love a the, feast. I love the theme. And, okay, so I thought about making corn, right? So I've been growing some stuff outside. I'd harvested some corn this week, and I was like, you know, we need to eat that corn. Maybe we'll do that. And then I'm like, yeah, I'll just make some mac and cheese. And then I'm sitting there watching the movie, and the dad is eating corn that's oh, not yeah. cooked. Yeah, it's not cooked yeah. because it's crisp, and you can you can taste the vitamin A. But, but, he, but he was doing the, he did that. Thing. Have you ever seen the thing before this movie, like with the bread and the he, butter? How to butter the corn? He buttered do you do the that? bread. Yeah, do you do that, I've Henry? I've never seen that before. This I'm, movie. I've never seen that. I've never seen it. I was like, that is brilliant. I think it's genius. Because I mean, you yeah. waste so much butter buttering that corn, and that well, it was now you've got when we were right. talking earlier about the show. You know, I, I thought through the whole story, and I said, there's no there's no food in it, and so we'll just have to do wordplay. And then when I was watching it last night, that scene, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, my God. I was like, man, and I have corn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That'll be later. But now I'll know how to eat it, because now yeah. I will butter the bread first, <laughs> then just, like, slather it on the corn. <laughs> That's awesome. That is awesome. It was amazing. But, uh, yeah, so basically I'm almost comatose right now. But you know, you can make it. I can make it. Power I'm gonna, through. I'm gonna push through. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, but so, it was delicious. So let's talk about the... De- um, today's film is War Games, the 1983 classic. According to Amazon, a young man finds a backdoor into a military central computer in which reality is confused with game playing, possibly starting World War Three. So let's do first taste. When did you first see it? What's your relationship to the movie? And why is it a mac and cheese movie? Henry, you want to go first? Sure. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. I saw it in the theater when it came out. And I've been thinking about it for the last couple of weeks getting ready for this show. And all the, the pop culture that I grew up with, you know, Star Wars was huge, Indiana Jones was huge. But I keep going back to the Cold War. Whether it's War Games or uh, Red Dawn or Rocky Four or the U.S. Olympic hockey team in 1980 or, or, I don't know, countless others, those were the ones that always drew me in more than anything else. And when I think back to my childhood and the pop culture around it, I think about those things more than anything else. And then this movie, on top of it, having the, the um, early age of, of home computing in it, it, I just connected with this movie from, from day one. And, and uh, you guys have read Ready Player One, right? Oh, yeah. Well, Ready Player One, there's a, a, a big component of the, the search, the treasure search that includes war games in it when that came up i was just i was smiling from ear to ear because i knew it i could have done the same thing you know just walk through the whole movie because i've probably seen it a thousand times and so thinking back to 1980 it was 1983 right i think so thinking back to 83 mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you guys but so i was 13 at the time i felt like i could have been david lightman you know mm-hmm. and so the whole idea of hacking and just experimenting and learning and doing cool new stuff that nobody else knew you could do, man, I just loved it. I loved it. And, it, and that movie got me interested in computers. Uh, it was it, it was really fantastic. I loved, I mean, he had, the components were so complicated. Also giant, you know? I mean, yeah, you're in the yeah. war room or whatever. They're or, showing, even, or even in his room. Even in his room, it takes up like half of it <laughs> but he, he's got like equipment that he sets the phone on he has a landline he has his own landline you know i mean like what 13 year old has that he's not a 13 year old he's a junior right he's in high school he's i think he's 17 but uh but yeah it was just it was crazy and then he's like do you want to hear his voice yeah. <laughs> it's just like this one speaker and she's like oh my gosh i can hear the computer talk and you're like yeah, I guess that was a big deal. <laughs> it's funny because the technology existed at the time. It really wasn't commercially available for a few more years, but I remember having a program on a Commodore 64 in probably 87 that would, it was, uh, you would type and it would talk for you, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so that stuff existed. You could dial in to computers, but before War Games, there was never a mainstream movie that used those tools. Right, it's certainly not a movie or any sort of pop culture for kids, and then this was yeah, sure grownups loved it, but this was a kids movie, right? Because yeah. the protagonists were teenagers and they were the ones in trouble and they were the ones that had to save the day too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they're fighting against the adults who are going to yeah. destroy the world. Yeah, it was it was it was great. I enjoyed it. We watched it. I mean, I mean, it's been on TNT and on cable like really my whole life, and I think. I've maybe seen like the same scenes maybe every time. So I never saw like everything until today. And it was just, it looked great. It had a bunch of actors in it that I recognized. Um, it was, 
so it pulls you in even all these years later and i can't imagine what it was like at the time when all this stuff was kind of groundbreaking and all of it was super relevant with the cold war and everything else absolutely and i i had never seen maybe a few scenes maybe but i don't know that i'd ever seen this movie at all you know and so this was amazing i figured at least one of y'all had seen it before right well and this i mean i was just taken in by it immediately kind of spellbound because i was kind of finishing up stuff in the kitchen and everything and then i'm like oh there's matthew broderick and then i'm like oh and this is happening oh now now she's on a motorcycle and he's riding behind her i thought that was just fantastic because you don't ever see that in movies especially around that time period right and Um, i think it aged really well too the set pieces are great The you know the norad control center is just spectacular mm-hmm. and i still don't know if we've ever seen a a military control center any more cool than that one with the big whopper with all the lights flashing right in the middle of it but all of it you know when they were on goose island when they were running to the ferry it, even when they were driving through their neighborhood like that right it looks good the script uh, does not feel dated you know the acting was fine it wasn't oscar worthy but it was good for you know it was great for what it was yeah. and and the only thing that surprises me is it's a, I don't know if you would categorize this as a thriller or suspense or what. There's certainly not a lot of action. And so it's not as fast as, as I remembered, but it doesn't matter because like Shannon said, it pulls you in mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my God, what's next? Oh my God, what's he going to do next? How's he going to get out of that? Yeah, now there's yeah. a helicopter. If, if, <laughs> if, if they remade the movie, it would be like lightning fast pace. There'd be like, some car chases. There'd be like it'd be all it'd be like the fugitive, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, but I love that it was like there was a lot of there was a lot of dialogue, there was a lot of conversation, there was a lot of kind of talking about these ideas. And that that really shows you how much confidence maybe they had in the movie because you know I, I feel like those those car chases, those action scenes, those are a crutch for it's like oh well we don't want to lose our audience. And that may be just a more modern kind of thing because it's just like we have no attention span whatsoever. But I thought that that really spoke well to that movie being able to stand well on its own. How much dialogue does it have? Is yeah. there like breaks in there to where nothing's really happening, you know? Um, well, the reason, if, if you guys read up on the, the history of the movie, originally it was a screenplay called The Genius. And it was actually about, it was about Professor Falcon, but he was more of a Stephen Hawking type. And it was about him taking in a, a kid and underperforming a, a, a high potential troublemaker as kind of to be his mentor. And the, the hacking and the NORAD stuff came later. And so the end result is probably way more action oriented than the original version would have been. You know, so it's really not even fair to compare it to an action movie. It's just an interesting thought. That's that that original idea does sound good. It sounds too. Really, well because there's not really much background on like how did he get into computers, how did he right. get into hacking? Because it doesn't seem like his parents are into that. Um, he's not getting it at school that you can tell. Uh, but, not, you're not getting it in school in 1983. But you um, or now really so much. But uh, but you know like you do see that once he finds an interest in something, he like demolishes it. Whether yeah. it's he hits Galaga, the, he hits the card catalog. He hits the card catalog. <laughs> he gets onto that. What is it? Microfish. Yeah, microfish. Micro, yeah. yeah, you know, he's gonna go through everything. He's gonna comb, and 
I don't know. And like Galaga, you know, at the very beginning, you see when he's playing the high score that's on the top of the screen, that's his score. Yeah, like he's yeah. he's the high scorer. And that's that's just how he is with computers, games, anything that he's interested in. And we obviously see he's not interested in much else. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. When they started, uh, when they cast the film, before they started production, they shipped a Galaga game to his house, the producers did, so he could practice because they wanted him to look natural when he was playing it. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then there'd be no cutaways. You can just like have him shoot him doing it. Yeah, yeah, and they did. So it was over his shoulder. You could see his face in the reflection. They they didn't have to fake it. Mm-mm. No. Speaking of reflections, how often did he not wear a shirt in this movie? <laughs> You're like watching him typing on a screen, and I'm like, is he not wearing a shirt? Yeah. Yeah. You see that in and the then, screen? Whenever the girl goes up to his room, the yeah. You haven't been at school all week. Yeah. What's going? What have you been doing? Are you been sick? He's yeah. so exhausted. He can't put on a shirt. Can't find yeah. that energy. <laughs> then he's trying to walk past her, and she grabs him with her legs, and nothing happens. Nothing <laughs> happens. No. And then they movie. lean in for a kiss, and she kisses him on the cheek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's real sexy. <laughs> oh man. No, but uh, yeah, speaking of ingredients, I mean, Matthew Broderick, you can easily see how this led it right into him doing Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Or, or yeah. so it's really just like, I mean, it's a different role, too. He's not as, like, he's not as, he's not as cool. He's not as cool. He's not as charismatic, but you still, like, are with him, and he's still um, captivating. And he's still, like, whatever he's interested in at that time, that's the thing to be interested in, you know? Like, he got into computers, and he figured out how to change his grades, and he used it for his own kind of entertainment yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And Matthew kind of- Roger, um, there was an interview. He was talking about the movie after he'd done it. He said, he said basically, I have, a, I have a talent for appearing um, smart and nerdy. And he said, it's just a tap. He said, he said, appear smart and nerdy. And so, yeah, he could come across as that guy that was kind of cool, but it's like he straddled the lines, right? And so think about Ferris Bueller, the cool kid everybody wants to be, yet he knows how to hack into a computer or he knows how to set up this intricate Rube Goldberg thing to make his parents think he's still in bed. And so it's not just that he's this outgoing rock star, right? There's something, there's something in there. Mm-hmm. There's something working. Um, I thought, so we always kind of think, like, who else could have done this role? I'm a big James McAvoy fan. Like, I feel like he probably could have made that work. I was trying to think about it, about, like, who else could have done this. And really, that's a, that's a, tough, that's a tough role to, to see anybody else in. Um, but well, I'm, I'm in love with James McAvoy, so I want him to be in everything. Well, <laughs> Matthew Broderick did this movie instead of the role in Family Ties. So yeah. that yeah, so that kind of made me think, would, would Michael J. Fox, could he have been in this movie? Would it would have worked? And That would have been... Um, what What about uh, Real Genius? Who was Real Genius? Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, maybe. Because um, he kind of plays that same kind of character. But he is, know? like, super outgoing He's and super, super... He is super outgoing. He's, like... But he, he kind of just, like, channels his intelligence into... Yeah. Mm. You know, you know who I think could have played it, mm. Mark Hamill. Mm. So if you think about think about Luke in the first movie. He was part cocky, but part whiny. Yeah. You know, Luke was a whiny baby, and there were scenes in War Games where Matthew Broderick's just whining about stuff. Yeah. You know, it didn't last long, but it was that, it was certainly there. And so Mark Hamill was that 
innocent, young, naive kid that didn't know what he had gotten himself into, right? Mm -hmm. Very similar in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Um, I really liked Ali Sheedy, probably probably more at the beginning of the movie because I thought her well, role was stronger. she's in it more, stronger. right? Well, and I mean, she just kind of became background and kind of more fluff as the movie went on, you know? Like, it wasn't a very strong character, but I really liked it, especially at the beginning. And I think it could have... Yeah. It could have been a much better character, but I mean, you know, you have a hard time like finding great female characters in a lot of yeah, other movies. Well, she did save him though. She she listened mm -hmm. to him about the air, airline tickets, and then she came with him. Right? Exactly. She showed up mm -hmm. and uh, took him the rest of the way. And frankly, you know, if it hadn't been for her, he might have given up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, she's like, she's like, we can swim. We yeah. can swim across. You know, like what, two, three miles? Like that's fine. Yeah, he didn't give up. He was ready. To, he was ready to stop. Yeah, right? yeah. Which, she didn't give up. No, absolutely. And then, and then helicopter. <laughs> you know how how convenient. Yeah. We can't swim across. We don't have a boat, but we've got a helicopter. I don't think I've seen Ali Sheedy in kind of a role like this. A lot of times she's very meek and kind of quiet. And when I see her in this, I feel like she could have been in the Molly Ringwald part in all those John Hughes movies. I feel like she could have, there's another level that she could have been at. Yeah. Yeah, of course, thinking about Breakfast Club, she was perfect for the role that she played. But yeah, I think this was my favorite Ali Sheedy character, and it's a shame that you didn't get to see more of that, but she was just strong and independent, and you know, she, she did what she wanted to do. Uh, I love the scene where she came back to him about her grades. Yeah. Because right? initially she had... You know, she was thinking about ethics, and she said, no, that's not right. And then she came back, and he already did it. Her face when he told her that she got a D was priceless. <laughs> I got a D? Exactly. Well, and she was mad at him when she left. Yeah. She was like, yeah. she was mad that he would have even thought of changing her grade. Yeah, she just uh, basically walked out. I, I thought that was going to turn into more because he, like, gives her an A, and I'm like, yeah, nobody's going to notice that. You know, like, they might not question a C as much, but an right. A? <laughs> well, it's, it's good that they took that. If they, if they probably had that in the script or maybe even shot it, but it's like they, probably, they, need, they need to cut it for time to cut exactly. the pacing. There, there were more important scenes to be had. But, yeah, it probably uh, wasn't really relevant to the script. No. You would love to have seen what happened. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have seen what happened the next time he went into a science class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you think that high school grades were on a computer like that in 1983? I don't know. I don't know. I remember they, when I, mean, I was in high school, uh, teachers had like the, like kind of the ledger and they were like hand filling in grades and stuff. And then they would turn in like a number. Like, I don't know. I, and that was in 99. I don't even know what it would be like in 83. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure there was some school out there, right? And the, I remember reading some interviews from the, the director talking about the technology when they first, when they first started researching for the movie. I don't remember any conversation about the school because the, the conversation was all about the, the NORAD stuff, right? What are we trying to, what are we trying to prevent? What are we trying to, to, to have happen? But, I mean, he had a computer at home, and so it's certainly feasible that there would have been a, a computer at least in an office somewhere, maybe not in classrooms, but, but in an office. I just, the funny thing was, it was, it was connected. Uh, it, it, the password storage was the best thing. that He had found it. Yeah. And so he knew, well, I'll go get in trouble, and I'll go sit in that little lobby waiting area, and while I'm waiting, I'm going to look. Exactly. Well, and I think I think that also lets you know a little bit how new those computers were. If that's how 
It's not even stored in a secure area. It's just like, it's fine. I mean, who's going to figure that out? <laughs> they just had it on a piece of paper in the desk. We've also got, you know, Barry Corbin in this movie. And I can't remember the other movies, but he feels like somebody that I've seen in a ton of stuff. You know, Dabney Coleman was in this. Um, John Spencer from The West Wing is at the, in the first yeah. of it. Yes. The guy who eats his grits, like he just thinks he's a fast cook in My Cousin Vinny, he's his friend who he asks about like the back door. Well, I would do a back door for this. Um, and I told Shannon, like, this yeah, guy like, looks so cool right now. And Shannon was like, I'm not getting that vibe. Like, <laughs> I am not getting that vibe at all. He was like, I mean, he looks great right now. And I was like, really? You mean like compared to him and My Cousin Vinny when he was... Just this hillbilly that, <laughs> yeah, like comparatively or what actor like just, is that? Um, it's not the one who's like. It was like the two geeks that he's asking about that, but it's not like the skinny one with glasses. It's the one that he's initially talking to. Um, he's like, he's like, I want to like get into these games and like I want to, you know, I'm trying to like go through their system right here and like. Yeah, and that guy, he goes, hey, Mr. Potato Head. He was like, remember when oh, you yeah. wanted me to tell you that when you're being rude and all that? He's yeah. like, you're doing it you're now. You're doing it now. Yeah, the, the nerdy guy was Eddie Deason, and he ended up being in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, this, this movie's full of those those kind of actors. Yeah. That you recognize them, and you're like, oh, I definitely know they were in this. Probably yeah. some other stuff, but... Well, yeah. well, Barry Corbin was, I think he was most well-known for Northern Exposure, the mm-hmm. TV series. And then Dabney Coleman was big back then. He had just done 9 to 5. And, um, oh, shoot, there was another pretty big one he was in. Oh, that was the one where he's, like, tied up to a garage door yeah. opener or something. Yeah, exactly. He's the, he's, he's the boss and the three the yeah. three secretaries basically um, wreak havoc on him. They get revenge on him. Yeah. There's also a movie where he's a cop trying to, like, die... So that his pe- wife get him kid gets the pension. I don't know. It's on HBO. <laughs> I think it's called. It's not. It's, no, it's, no it's title. Not, it's not Nick of Time, but it's something like that. I mean, it's. <laughs> um, I think he's in Hot to Trot. Mm-hmm. Dabney Coleman. Dabney Coleman used to be in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He was in On Golden Pond. Hmm. I think that's an Oscar uh, movie. He was in. There was a good one for kids back in the early '80s called Cloak and Dagger. Oh, Cloak and yeah, Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. He was kind of this action hero, um, imaginary action hero that this kid kind of made up. <laughs> but yeah, he was a big star for yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, the writers of this movie also wrote the movie Sneakers. Did you see that, Henry? Yeah, Sneakers was awesome. Sneakers is one of my favorite movies. I love Sneakers. Yeah. The yeah, ju- Robert Redford's in that, right? Yeah, yeah. And Dan Aykroyd yeah, and... A ton of other people. That's yeah, a, that's yeah. a star-laden cast it's right there. H- huge. Absolutely. Did you know that the, they changed directors of this movie? Yeah, early on too. Yeah, it was like Martin Brest who directed Beverly Hills Cop, and Midnight Run, and Sin of a Woman, and I don't, I don't know why he got out, but he got out, and John Badham came in and directed. And John Badham's had like an incredible career. He's like eighty now. He like does a lot of TV now, but he was doing yeah. a whole lot of like blockbuster movies for you know the 80s and 90s for sure well i think whatever they did it worked because the tone of the movie is just great um i can't imagine it telling the story any other way mm-hmm. um one of my favorite lines was uh when they're watching uh the 
what what's the doctor's name? Like uh, Doctor Faulkner. Doctor Falcon. Dr. Falcon. 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 Peter Falcon. 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 And they're watching like a video of him, you know, when he's do- in his research thing, trying to figure out the password. They're watching a video, and she's like, "Oh, he's very attractive," or whatever it is yeah. she says. He's amazing looking. He's amazing looking, and I was That's like, "Really?" <laughs> I'm like, "Huh, okay." Got it. Yeah, and, he, was, uh, like he was in his fifties, and she's sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. Like, oh, well, and he said, um, "Well, he died or something like that." And she's like, "Really? He's so young." And he's like, "He's like really old." And she's like, "Is he?" And he was like, "He's forty-one." And she goes, "Oh, but that is old." old. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "Maybe older than my dad." Uh, yeah, my dad is forty-four. <laughs> and she, but just her, oh, that is old, and you're like. Oh, okay. That's where we're at in our life. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, What about the arcade being open? Were arcades open that early in the morning? It it, it looks like he's he's going right before school, like at 7 in the morning. But he may have just had like a period loose. Yeah. Arcade before school? And so I was thinking maybe maybe it was lunch break. I don't know. Right? Maybe he just had a break in his class schedule and had to get back. Because I don't. I certainly don't remember arcades being open at 7 in the yeah. morning. No. Thank God they weren't. And there's everybody. It's not just him. It's not like he just cut class or something because everybody's just kind of streaming out like they're going back to school. You yeah, know? and the concession stand was busy, and um, I heard you know she took an order for a Coke and French fries, and so it, didn't, it did not it did feel not seem like, morning. like breakfast. Yeah. Yeah, it <laughs> like a morning. Uh, what... What do you think this movie, how is this movie relevant as far as, like, the lessons it's trying to say to us? Like the legacy? No, I'm not talking about legacy. I'm not not talking about Doggy Bag. I'm talking about, what is this movie, what's the message to this movie? What is, what are they trying to say here? Okay. Okay. What's your thoughts, Uh, Scotty? (laughs) I don't know. I I think it's like, it's a a man versus machine kind of thing. And, like, should man be... In control, or should machines be in control? And what what happens when, you know, we let machines run everything, and how it can go awry? But I mean, we saw in the at the very first scene, um, you know, the guy like pulls the gun on him, um, and he's like, "You turn that key," and like, so we see there's issues with both elements. Mm-hmm. But which way yeah. do you want to make a mistake here? We've got like worldwide destruction, or like, not. <laughs> I think I'm going to... The other guy that pulled the gun, that's Michael Madsen. Oh, is that Michael yeah. Madsen? I thought it I, It looked kind of like it, yeah. Yeah, that's Mr. Michael Blonde. Madsen from Re- Reservoir Dogs yeah. and Kill Bill and a bunch of and, other and good Free stuff. Willy. Free Willy. <laughs> Kill Bill, you know what? When you say Kill Bill, the next thought to my mind is Free Willy. <laughs> Michael Madsen would say that, like, kids would come up to him because he'd been in Free Willy and be like, oh, hey, and, like, the parents knew him as Mr. Blonde from Reservoir Dogs, so they were terrified yeah. when their kids would go sure. up to Michael Madsen. Yeah. That was really Yeah, because he seemed like the guy, kind of guy that would just cuss out the kids, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and I kept on thinking, like, that they were plants or that somebody had gotten to them, and so that they were, they were getting on duty and they were going to, like, start a war, and it was not, you know, like, they're just doing yeah. their jobs. But, I, I mean, there's that initial dread that you're just carrying through that whole scene, and you're like, what is going to happen right here? Yeah. Well, and it's funny, too, because think about watching it for the first time, and that's what you guys just did. That scene's really suspenseful, and the suspense just stops for 30 minutes or so, right? Yeah. And then 
then they start building up the story with David Lightman and the computers and then he meets, you know, he knows the girl and all this stuff. And you're like, okay, how does that fit back into it? And so back to your question about the lesson, I think that's obviously the number one is that what happens is we let computers take more and more of a prominent role in our lives because this is a story where obviously the computer program was not, um, at least until the end, it wasn't smart enough on, on its own to figure out what was really happening. And the only way to fix it was to have people intervene. Yeah. Yeah, to figure out that the goal, the end goal was not just, it's not just a zero-sum game. Yeah. You know, I'm getting into my, like, doggy bag there, but, you know, war is not a zero-sum game where it, there's just a winner, just a loser, um, that in this case, like, there's nothing but losers. Yeah. I think another lesson is if you've ever done something you think might be illegal, just throwing the evidence in your trash can is not a good way to escape. No, no. So what I was, I was like, I'm watching him like just stuff in that trash can. I was like, you know what I think is going to happen? I think he's going to put it in the trash bin outside and he's not going to put the, lids put on. the lid on correctly. Cause his parents like go into it like four times. They're like, you didn't put the lid on. You need to screw it on real tight. And then it'd be just dumped over. And I was like, and now they're going to come and investigate and they're going to find all this trash. Cause he didn't take the trash out correctly. I, I wrote down. Trash can metaphor. <laughs> Very deep, Scotty. Very deep. Metaphor? Not even like, is this a metaphor like, for? It's just, it's just like, like uh, question mark? Squiggly. <laughs> I, I like the scene at the end when Barry Corbin, you know, it isn't like a big thing where they have to uh, sidestep Dabney Coleman and Barry Corbin to fix everything. Like, they're in it with them. And Barry Corbin's like, I'm going to stay on the line with you um, to, to see what happens. And just kind of like, this is a good general. Like, a lot of movies, you know, the military is just, like, completely evil and everything's bad. But this is, you know, I, you love him. You love them at the end, like, trying to work together to solve it. Um, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, he took advice. You, you certainly know that there will be hell to pay after everything settles down. But during that situation, he took advice from other people. He let the kid come in and do his thing. He listened to not only his advisors, but to, to Dr. Falcon, too, mm-hmm. right? And they hadn't seen Dr. Falcon in, you know, in 10 or 15 years. He trusted him, which was kind of surprising. Absolutely. Well, I mean, but I mean, he, he should because he's the one that created it and knows it better than anything else. I mean, you're running out of options. But I mean, like, this guy's like been he, out of the loop for 15 years, sure. you know? But like he said, he'd take a piss on a spark plug, spark right plug now. if it helped. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I think if there was any any character that was closest to like a bad guy, I think it'd be like Dabney Coleman, you know, because you kind of get the feeling that he's he's in it for the power and the career boost and these you know that's why he's springing this idea on it when there's like the senator at the beginning and uh he was certainly way less flexible than the general was Mm -hmm. right with his ideas and attitudes the crazy thing that i thought though was when they arrested david lightman and then he went in and talked to him and he brought him out on the floor of the war room and then up into his office it's like what if you seriously think this guy's a spy are you going to do that and then leave him in the office where there's a computer? No, 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 no. To me, that was the most unrealistic thing in the movie. It was, it, but I mean, like, 
you know, their their other alternative was like the infirmary. Well, that, you know? well I mean, that seemed like a good idea and, until yeah. he and he figured, he wired the thing. Um, he's he's to, just full of to, unknown to, talent to get out and then yeah. to wire it to where they couldn't get in. And I was like, oh, that was really smart because he figured out how to take the one unlocked drawer, take it out, yeah. and then get into the locked drawers below, like. What's in there? I don't know. It's a metaphor for the back door. Flare. The back door is part yeah, of the whole theme. Cake flare and he somehow wired it up to a piece of surgical scissors or whatever. And uh, it was kind of MacGyverish right there. Yeah. Very MacGyverish. Yeah. And, and, That's a word. Yeah. It should be. It should be. Henry, you are a well traveled man. Have you been on a NORAD tour? <laughs> I have not. I have been on several Air Force bases and been in some control rooms, but I've never seen anything like that. No. No, we were like, "What? There's a, there's a, they're doing tours of the war It's like room? when they, when they like, do, when they do a tour, like at this facility, would, they, would, they, would mean, you even know this facility existed? You know, it's like you know, Stranger Things, where it's like under underground, six six stories, like. And he says they should be at Disneyland. He said, "I think they're going there next." You know, well, like they were like, you know, before we go to Disneyland. It, it wouldn't surprise me though. So I'm in this group, this uh, nationwide group that represents all the Air Force, all the training bases in the Air Force. And so each base puts up a couple of civic leaders. And during the year, we'll go and we'll all meet up at another base and they'll tour us around. And so right before COVID hit, at the very, very start of March, we were in um, Fort Fort Walton and then in Pensacola going to a couple of bases. And they showed us a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Mm -hmm. And so there certainly could have been tours and they never really said what kind of tour group that was. It's kind of implied that it was just a tourist. But they're on an who, Air Force bus, though. They're on an Air Force bus. I mean, I, maybe they picked yeah. them up and brought them in in that. But I mean, that does yeah, make sense because, like, I'm on the Shepherd, the Smack Young Ambassadors, and you know, it was kind of the same wow. deal. You you go on some yeah. like really yeah. cool areas. I don't know if they were. I would assume that they're not like top secret because we were in there. But yeah. <laughs> maybe I love how he snuck out. Yeah. I love yeah. how he snuck out and got on that bus. You're like, there's no way. They're going to stop him. They're going to stop him. They're going to stop him. And he's they like, thank you. Looks him straight in the eye. And he's like, thank uh-huh. you. <laughs> he gets to the very back of the bus, the one seat where they could see him if they were chasing the bus, right? It's like, I'd have had my head down, just hold my breath. Yep. On the inside of a seat, like with somebody next to me. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned that that control room. Uh, I. I loved reading up on that because the technology did not exist at the time to have all that. And so the big screens were all rear projected. And then the smaller screens underneath, they had projectors somewhere in the room in front. And then they had, they had an Apple II controlling all of it. And there was a guy, there was a guy sitting inside the Whopper for some reason, <laughs> controlling all of it. So they had, Cause they had to have everything synced up, right? All the smaller monitors, on the desk had to be synced up because a lot of the views were from the back of the room looking forward. And so you could probably see 20 or 30 monitors at once, plus maybe 10 big screens. And it wasn't, none of it was computer generated in terms of, it wasn't added after like they could do today. And so I can't imagine what sort of logistical task they had to go through to do that. I mean, think about 83. There, there was not a lot happening on in the mainstream in terms of computers and projection for that sort of thing. So pretty awesome. That is interesting. And well, and we we've just did uh, just did a podcast on, on two thousand one, a space odyssey, and that I mean, like none of that technology existed, and it was very believable. It held up yeah. very well. 
And maybe it's because, you know, you did have to do it physically. Like practically. Practically, you know, and those those generally tend to age a lot better. Practical well, that's effects. what I loved about Star Wars, was that it was models of ships instead of uh, computer-generated stuff. Nowadays, the computer-generated uh, content looks almost realistic, but to the point where they can do a fake Princess Leia, right? Yeah. But back, you know, 77 when Star Wars came out, that stuff looked real. Absolutely. It looks amazing. Yeah, it looked incredible. Did, I, I, in the research for this movie, it talked about how Reagan was kind of brought to kind of like problems with computer uh, security as a result of watching this movie and decided to do something about like our defenses. Did you read anything about that, Henry? Yeah, I did. They actually they did a, a showing the same weekend that the movie came out. They did a showing for him at Camp David. And so he ended up using some of what he learned in his policy decisions because uh, hacking was not a common thing back then. It wasn't a mainstream term. Nobody was talking about it. And, and so uh, you know that there was stuff going on. And there are hackers that became famous and created careers because of what they did. They ended up being security experts. You know, There was a guy named Captain Crunch that uh, got that name because uh, when cereal used to have toys in it, that one of the toys in Captain Crunch was a little cheap plastic whistle, and it just happened to blow at the same frequency that it would activate a payphone. And so he figured out how to basically get unlimited calls from a payphone and uh, became famous for that. And there are hackers that have signed uh, non-disclosure agreements where they cannot tell you if they ever hacked into a government computer. <laughs> and they're security consultants, you know? And so crazy how that happens, but it was the Wild West back then. And people didn't even know they had to secure their network, let alone actually do it. Absolutely. And we're still having issues with that, you know. Even, yeah. even more so even now. Even more so yeah. now, yeah. Uh-huh. But, but it does, figuring out how to get in the weaknesses, all of that, it does make sense that they would be those security consultants. Because, I mean, if you created it, you think it's perfect. We kind of see that with the Whopper. They think it's infallible, infallible, infallible. It's not infallible. <laughs> it's infallible and obviously not, you know, but they didn't realize that until somebody hacked into it from the outside. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing about that, so Falcon created it. He's this futurist, right, this visionary. Well, at the same time, he was the one willing to let let humans just die, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh he was excited about the fact that they were three miles from a strategic target and so flash a light and we're gone. He didn't care. He's talking about the dinosaurs, right? He said, well, you know, nature starts over. Yeah. And uh, kind of reminded me of Jeff Goldblum in, in Jurassic yeah. Park. Nature a finds a way. <laughs> yeah, a fatalist, right? You know what? At some point we're going to screw up and boom, we're gone and something will take our place. But you do see also that it's, you know, it's his son and his son's death and everything and makes him think, oh, I got, there's no meaning anymore. And and, why are we yeah. here? And also, I mean, people who are at that level of smartness, they're kind of detached from, I think, a lot of kind of regular, like, human emotions or um, experience. That they, you know, it, that it's just, you know, this is, this is how things are going to be. And this is, like, you know, not really kind of being so invested in, like, his life knowing that it's so minuscule compared to the enormity of the universe. Yeah. Especially having his son and wife die and then living, uh, you know, being, having his death faked and then living on an Island out miles, you know, from, from, uh, anybody 
And so you don't know if he ever interacts with people at all. And this was back in 83 when we didn't have social media. And so he certainly wasn't logging in and uh, mm-hmm. having, having a bunch of chats with his old buddies, that's for sure. No, no, he didn't even have a phone, I don't think. They, he wasn't listed. He wasn't listed because Matthew Broderick tries, does try to call him. And yeah. they were like, yeah. he's unlisted or doesn't have a phone. He's like, what? He doesn't have a phone? He doesn't have a landline? What? Yeah. But. We, like, when, when they first get there, I, I said to Shannon, that looks like a pterodactyl. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, because we just thought it was like some bird like, or something. Yeah. They, get, they, get, they took a ferry to Jurassic Park. Like, that's how, you know. <laughs> they see it was a pterodactyl. It was a pterodactyl. <laughs> Yeah, it was weird, and, and it, you got it once he went inside and showed the movie with the dinosaurs and all. Um, I was reading about that set. That that house was built on a, on a movie set, um, but a lot of the props were from Little House on the Prairie, <laughs> and then all the dinosaur stuff was from old dinosaur movies. Oh, that's cool. That is cool. Yeah. They were just like, yeah. what can we use? <laughs> We've already like put all of our money into all of the computers. Yeah, exactly. And the projectors <laughs> and the, the Apple II. Like, we're yeah. going to have to cobble something together. <laughs> but I told Shane, I said, that's a cool house that he's got. It is a cool oh, house. Oh, yeah. 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 Definitely. Yeah. Um, I like I like that he does he doesn't like sell them out. You think that he sold them out. Yeah. And you see the helicopter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> The funny thing, when he's, they're talking in, in his house, and then basically, conversation's over. He starts walking upstairs. It's like, good night. <laughs> you can sleep on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he doesn't he's have funny. any guest room set up. He's got, like, he's got like a couch. Yeah, that's a couch. Thanks, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, you can't sleep on the couch. You can sleep on the floor. Those are your options. And even when they're running in to get, and the, like the door is kind of closing, and they can't, they wouldn't be able to get back in. Like that's like dis- suspenseful, but it's not like an action movie where where they're know, like sliding yeah. as it's like shutting the final yeah. inches. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, is it gonna crush them? Crashing, and then they they run up. That's really the only real action scene in the whole movie. Um, I read that that jeep crash was not intentional. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I guess it was just supposed to bust through the gate, but it crashed, and they thought it looked good, and so they kept it in the film. I like Scoots, that. but we need to do. Yeah, yeah, it worked. It worked. They were just like any any means necessary. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> any means necessary. Well, what's the what do you think the legacy the, the doggy bag the is. doggy bag is? What's the legacy of the movie? What are you taking away? I feel like we kind of already hit that with some of the lessons. I know my doggy bag is tied in there, but. What do you got, Henry? You, know, uh, you got to watch out for kids and technology. <laughs> they, they learn to do things that grown-ups can't do, right? And the same thing happens with our kids. You know, they they have apps on their phones or their iPads that they figure out to do way faster than I can. A couple of my kids know how to uh, make movies and do animation in the movies and all sorts of effects and stop motion and all. And I'm like, I don't even have the patience to learn that now. Mm-mm. And uh, they they just they don't care they'll figure they'll just sit there for hours messing around with it and mm-hmm. so I think that that um, aspect of kids and technology is still in play today even though there's more technology to be had I think it's the same concept because I guarantee you his parents were oblivious to what he was doing up there they had no clue 
they might have known about the gear he had, but they didn't know what he was doing. No, no, they were like the compute computers are the future, you know. That's that's yeah. now. So they were probably just like, oh, it's that reflects well on us. Our son is smart and he's got these futuristic things, you know. He'll do something with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, mine mine was uh war is not a zero sum game, you know. Uh but then also I just <laughs> All of these 80s movies, there'll be like a montage where they're just learning everything, you know? <laughs> and he learns everything about the Whopper and this company, or not this company, but this technology and what he was working on. And you're like, is it two weeks? Is it a week? It's like a week because he's been out of school for a week, but he learned everything. He did all of that in one week. I'm pretty sure I can do that now. That's what I've taken away from this movie. <laughs> Now you could do it in, a, in two hours. Two from, hours. From yeah, <laughs> from home. I don't even have to leave the couch. No, no card catalog needed. No card catalog or microfish. <laughs> My doggy bag is Matthew Broderick has like a lot of range and is a much more complete actor than most people realize. And this is a lesson we still haven't learned over 30 years later after this movie is the only way to win is to not play. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I like it. Oh. Interesting game, Doctor. Interesting game. Well, we really enjoyed having you again, Henry. We always enjoy having you on the show. Thank you. It's fun. Uh, I'm so glad you brought this movie into my life. <laughs> I this is definitely an instant classic in the Shannon world. It's good. gonna be it's good. gonna be seen again and again for sure. Yeah. All right. And um, let's see. For everyone else out there, if you enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Connection terminated. How rude. Mac and cheese out.